Today is the last Sunday of the Pentecost season and also the day we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King. The day of Pentecost brought to the people of God the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a joyous feast day when we're blessed with the assurance of a continuing presence of protection and guidance. So it's with a sense of completion that we celebrate the end of the long green season, the season of learning and moving through the major ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and the Epistles. We're now about to begin anew. The church year begins next Sunday when we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. We're ending a cycle of the year, coincidentally, just as our nation comes to the end and the beginning of a political cycle. And even the moon has just completed an arc in which it's at its closest pass to the earth in decades. And as T.S. Eliot wrote, in my end is my beginning. Endings and beginnings are in our hearts and minds today, and some we take for granted, and some seem to be major shifts in our view of reality. This is not a time of quiet transition for us, personally, politically, or liturgically. What can we learn from these times of transition? It seems significant to me at this moment that the church reminds us of who is really in charge. This is not just the end of the great teaching cycle of the church here, but the statement by the church of just who Jesus is. In the language of the early church and of the Jewish worship, the most important position of secular power was the king. So it's a natural transference of language and metaphor to celebrate what the term can mean for Christians. Jesus is our king. As Americans, we are often fascinated by the idea of monarchy, although the reality of a king or monarch is antithetical to our existence as a nation. Many of us feel a distant but firm affection for the English queen who now reigns with little power but great presence and nostalgic ceremony. She is, after all, in name at least, the head of the Church of England, our denominational mother. Our foremothers and forefathers left behind their old lives in order to repudiate a king, claiming that they would no longer be under the absolute jurisdiction, or indeed any absolute jurisdiction. But we as American Christians do understand the term, a metaphor perhaps as an emblem of the one with complete authority. As Christians, we have placed ourselves under that absolute jurisdiction of Jesus and his teachings. The passage we heard from the prophet Jeremiah is an announcement from God that a leader would be raised up for the house of David, for all those erring and lost of the Israelites, and that the leader would reign as a king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. Early Christians, of course, saw this passage as a prediction of Jesus. The psalmist today also speaks of the Lord of hosts who will be with us to rule and protect us. And in the letter to the Colossians, we heard from the apostles' assuring voice that God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So even in the earliest centuries of the church, that small group of believers, Jesus is lauded in terms of monarchy. So why, we might ask, do we have a gospel lesson about the crucifixion? It's a fair question. We all know that we're on the brink of Advent. And we know that Advent is the preparation time for Christmas, for the birth of Jesus, not for his later ministry and dangerous forays into Roman territory and authority. But looking again at this passage from Luke's Gospel, we remember that Luke often gives us important details that other versions of the same story may not give or that other Gospels may not mention at all. But that's not true of this story, the story of Jesus' arrest and execution. All four of the Gospel writers tell of Pilate's questioning of Jesus, asking him if he is king, asking him if he is king of the Jews. And the Gospels all tell of the sign in three languages fixed to his cross that proclaims him king of the Jews. Is it the fact that Jesus is considered a king and is so proclaimed by the placard on his cross that he is considered guilty of sedition and sentenced to death? This point is never quite clear since Jesus did not respond to Pilate's question about his kingship. We know that these passages were written at least one or two generations after Jesus' crucifixion, but all refer to him in one way or another as being considered king of his people. Not literally, of course. Everybody knew that Herod was the surrogate king in Israel. But the writers of the four stories of Jesus' trial and death all considered this designation crucial. It may have been considered the most significant determination of his presumed guilt. We don't need to believe in the power of kings to realize that the term is meant to attribute authority and jurisdiction. This is what the writers of the Gospels wanted to convey. This is what the church wants to convey when we celebrate Christ the King. You may remember hearing about when this holy day was first declared by the Roman Catholic Church. The feast day of Christ the King was proclaimed in relatively modern times. It was first announced by Pope Pius XI in 1925. This was during the rise to power in Italy of Benito Mussolini. It was presumed by much of Christendom then and now that the Pope was responding to Mussolini's political acts of, and pronouncements with the Church's powerful statement of just who should really be considered the most important ruler for millions of Christians in Italy and in the world. As such, it is still a useful reminder to the whole world, whether we are threatened by a dictator or not, of whom Christians must claim as king. So I bid you a joyous feast of Jesus our King. I humbly urge you to keep ever in mind and heart as we ready ourselves to welcome the babe of Bethlehem just who is in charge of our deepest and most important lives. May we and all the peoples of this nation and this church 
Seek today and in the future the peace and fair-mindedness of the one whose major royal edict was that we must love God and love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. Amen.